Hey, it's great to be with you today. And what a privilege to share with you, those at home, many more of you back there than there are in here, which actually really shows us how disruptive this COVID-19 period has been, doesn't it? That we haven't been able to meet all together at the right time. In fact, it feels like it's dominated lots of things this year, doesn't it? Who feels like me, whether you're at home or here, that really it's almost been in total control of everything we've decided to do? For many of us, it's been difficult. Many people have had lots of heartaches and problems to go through. Jill and I personally have merely just had lots of inconvenience and uh, disruption like all of you. Found it very frustrating. But we haven't certainly had a lot of the disruption and heartache that other people have been going through, very thankfully. The biggest impact on us, actually, personally, was trying to get home from a trip to Australia on Norfolk Island. Man, that was very interesting. When we left here in New Zealand at the beginning of March, there was just one case of COVID-19. COVID-19? COVID. I hope that's not the new one. COVID-19 in New Zealand. Now, getting home from rural Tasmania was quite an effort, I can tell you. I spent hours on the phone like many others did or trying to get my device to not just spin around, you know, to try and get internet connection or the phone to change accommodation and change flights and all those other things that happened and it was really difficult, pretty tense. And we were relieved when we got back to Hobart. Drove back to Hobart to catch a plane to Christchurch the next day, spend one night there at Hobart and then on to Sydney. Just finished checking in at the hotel, it was pre-booked and pre-paid the year before, let me tell you, when someone from the back room came out and said to me, sir, I'm sorry, you can't stay in this hotel. And I said, I'm sorry, but I've, I, we've paid, and we, I'm sorry, you, you can't stay in this hotel. It's our new hotel's COVID-19 policy. And I said, but I, he said, you're from overseas, aren't you? And I said, yeah, New Zealand. I, I've been travelling around Tasmania for 12 days now. I'm sorry, sir, you can't stay here. And I said, uh, but what do I do? By this time, three others had come out from the back, and it was like this line-up behind the counter, you know, of these people saying, sir, you can't stay here, you have to leave. And I said, where do I go? Well, that's not our problem, sir, but here's a list of some other hotels you can try. Wow. And so we sort of walked out of there going, man, I feel like a criminal. I, I've done nothing wrong. I, I what do we do? You know, do we sleep in the car all night? Do we, what do we do? It felt awful. There was no grace and no mercy whatsoever from those people. Anyway, long story short, an amazing set of circumstances happened and we found ourselves able to stay in this wonderful boutique apartment hotel. Wasn't on their list, by the way. When the owner heard the story, he said, Those guys are idiots. And I think a few other choice Australian words. Hello, Siri. Siri's trying to tell me something here. She thinks I said, hey, Siri, and I didn't say, hey, Siri. Who finds that frustrating? That's one of the most frustrating things that's happened all year. He says, those guys are idiots. They've interpreted the rules totally wrong. It's unbelievable. But what was actually more wonderful for us was that man wouldn't take from us any money at all for staying in his lovely apartment. There are some good people in Australia, eh? They haven't all come over here, Max, have they? They're still... With all its... We got home. Actually, when we got home, it was midnight March the 18th, on Wednesday night, 
straight into self-isolation. And at that moment, it was like the whole world was in absolute turmoil, wasn't it? And we all went into lockdown level four about eight days after that. With all that's going on in the world right now, it can seem as if everything is spinning out of control, can't it? And Psalm 46 verse six puts it like this. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. That sounds a bit like 2020, doesn't it? Where's God in all this? Has he given up on the world? And all around us, we can see people who are despairing and have no hope at all. But right through this Psalm 46, there are some wonderful declarations which help us set our hearts and our minds back in the right way and and ease and give us faith and give us hope again. Because in verse one, he says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Verse seven, the Lord Almighty is with us. Verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I want to remind us today, wherever you are, whether you're here, whether you're watching and joining online, God has not abandoned this world. He has not given up on us. He hasn't abdicated his rule. He is still on the throne. There's a little book near the end of the Old Testament called Habakkuk, where the prophet Habakkuk is complaining to the Lord, like some people I've heard don't know anyone like that, but sometimes they seem to complain to the Lord. He's looking at all the problems around the world and he's having a real good complaint. He's almost accusing God of of turning a deaf ear or a blind eye to the situation. And here's what God says back to him in Habakkuk verse one, verse five. He says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Wow. It's easy to get weighed down, isn't it, with the magnitude of the world's problems right now and the everyday issues and difficulties that we can face in our own personal lives and we have a limited perspective and it seems like a chaotic shambles around about. But I wanna say this morning, remind us, God sees the whole picture. He sees the plan. He knows what's going on. He's doing something in these days which we wouldn't even believe even if we were told. He's still on his throne. In the midst of trouble and heartache and catastrophe, he's working and he's moving and he's changing lives. Now right now around the world, God is doing something. His church is actually making great advances in different places. Christianity today is growing faster at a faster rate than the world's birth rate. And many countries which are considered closed, such as, for example, Afghanistan, in Afghanistan, the Christian population today is increasing four times greater than their birth rate. There's still not lots and lots of people that have become Christian yet, but that's an amazing statistic. Iran is estimated now to have one million Christians in it. Africa is now the continent with the greatest number of believers. And the number of African countries are seeing many more come to faith and coming to Jesus day by day. And of course, we know something of what's happening in Thailand and and in Laos and how God is reaching out to unreached people groups through other believers, ones that weren't reached before. We know of Mozambique, don't we? 
where the Koti people have turned to Jesus and they in turn now are going and reaching the Mwani people and so on. There's so many stories of what God is doing. The Holy Spirit is doing something on the earth. Now you won't read about it on stuff. You won't hear it on News Hub or on the six o'clock news. You won't even probably catch it on social media with all the other nonsense that's on there. God is doing something on planet Earth. He hasn't abandoned us. He's still on His throne. I love technology today. I get confused by it sometimes. Anyone else do that? When you're over 40 like me, you sort of can get a bit confused. I love using it when I can. I love using my iPad like to preach from today, right? It's really cool. Does lots of other amazing things too, like speak to me before and say, can I help you, you know? For quite a long time, I was using this to read my Bible too. But just some months ago, I went back to the real Bible, like the one like the Apostle Paul used, you know, like this. I still look up different translations, you know, here and and do some research and compare things, but there's nothing quite like holding the real thing in your hand, right? That's great. And by holding a physical Bible in your hand, you get to know a lot of stuff about how it was put together and you can be appreciative of the way they decided to put these books. They didn't just fall together like this. They decided to put historical books there and then the the prophets and some of the Psalms and the the poetical stuff there and then the letters and the the Gospels and they're all grouping them together and, and, and so on and so on. And right in the middle of the Bible, as we know, probably you know this, is the book of Psalms, right? I put my ribbon there just to help me make sure I got the middle. That's right, isn't it? Now, you might know this already, but I didn't know it until a few days ago. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And Psalm 117 is the very middle chapter of the Bible. So there's 594 chapters before Psalm 117 and 594 chapters after 117. And 117 is the shortest book in the Bible. Two verses, it says, Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. What a great psalm. Two chapters after that is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, 176 verses. Let me read. No, I won't read them to you this morning. Have a look at them. Then... There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. And the middle verse of the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. Paul, wait, when you quit the math lesson, will you sort of wake me up, please, and get back to preaching? Well, here it is. I'm going to right now. It's all right. You can wake up. Here it is. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Very central verse of the Bible. It is better to trust in the Lord than it is to put confidence in man. Some translations say it's better to take refuge in the Lord, whatever your translation might say. Now, this doesn't say don't trust anybody at all. It doesn't say go around mistrusting everybody and go around mistrusting everything everybody says. You know, if I did that, I'd be a bigger mess than I am already, wouldn't you? But here, this central verse of the Bible tells us that our primary trust, our foremost trust, our greatest trust is to be in the Lord. Wow. 
So in our troubled times or our, our good times or our hardship times or our times of plenty or times of struggle or times of peace, it's better to trust in the Lord. It's more favourable to trust in the Lord. It's more advantageous to us to trust in the Lord. It's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in anybody else. Why? Well, here's a clue in Psalm 145, verse 13. Great verses here. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all He promises and faithful in all He does. Did you notice that little word all in there? The Lord's dominion endures through all generations. He is trustworthy in all He promises. He is faithful in all He does. That little word all is a great word. One of my favourites. Comes from the Hebrew word with a wonderful meaning, meaning all. But let me ask you something this morning. Is there anyone who else whose dominion endures through all generations? Is there anyone else who without one lapse is totally trustworthy? Is there anyone else who without one slip up is faithful in all they do? Of course, the answer is no, isn't it? So it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Are you with me this morning? Now there's a subtle difference between trusting someone and trusting in someone. I mean, parents, when you drop your kids off to school, you trust the teachers to teach them well and look after them, don't you? But just because you trust them with that doesn't mean you're going to then hand over your bank accounts and give them your, your app from your, from your phone for your banking and tell them your PIN numbers and your passwords and, and trust them with your money. Is that right? I mean, John O'Dowd, John O's our youth pastor. He's in charge of youth in this church. I trust him to run a, a great youth night on, on, a, on a youth night, right? But I hear that he drives a Subaru Legacy. So I wouldn't trust him with my car because people that drive Subaru Legacies speed and they're dangerous drivers, right? I mean, we do need to trust people in our lives. We do, we definitely do. But our trust is selective and our trust is specific. But when we trust in someone, we're trusting them with absolutely everything. So my Trust is to be in the Lord. My trust isn't to be in a particular politician or to be in a particular political party. My trust isn't to be in the government. My trust isn't to be in the pastor. My trust isn't even to be in the church. My trust isn't to be in my money, isn't to be in my possessions. It's not even to be in myself because everything one day will pass away. But when everything else fails and everyone fails and everything falls, God will still be there. He is on His throne. So we put our trust in Him. Now, I don't know about you, but when we think of the throne of God, we often have pictures in our mind of countless angels surrounding the throne and endless worship from multitudes of people, from every people group on the face of the earth. And that's true. It's wonderful. But equally, I've discovered, when we, people think about the th- throne of God, many immediately begin to think of the throne being the place of judgment. And one day it will be the 
place of judgment. But that event is sometime in the future, once time on earth as we know it is over. So what I want to say to you this morning and put it to you this way, when we talk about the throne of God and God sitting on his throne, in the times we are living, it is not the throne of judgment, but it's the throne of grace. You got a chapter and verse for that, brother? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because yes, I have actually. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Great verse. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You only have to go back a few hundred years. You find that in many countries of the world, the king had supreme authority, even to the point where he made decisions about whether you lived or whether you died. If you were accused of a crime, the king was the one that you appeared before and he held the power to show you mercy, to pardon you, or to have you imprisoned, tortured, and killed. So imagine the fear you would feel as you approach the throne to have your verdict declared, knowing you were guilty, and convinced that the harshest possible sentence was about to be handed to you and that your life would soon be over. Even under Old Testament law, if someone killed someone, the punishment was death, a life for a life. But in the tabernacle stood the altar of burnt offering. And on the altar of burnt offering, animals were sacrificed. Before the sacrificial animal was burned, some of its blood was applied to the four corners of the altar called the horns, and then the rest of the blood was poured out at the base of the altar for the forgiveness of sins. Those four posts, the horns, were symbols of help and of refuge. So when a person was responsible for killing someone, there was just one exemption from the death penalty. That was when the death was accidental. So if someone killed someone accidentally, that person then could run to the tabernacle, grab hold of the horns of the altar, and because blood had already been shed and sacrifices had been made on that altar, the accused's life was spared. He or she didn't have to face the seat of judgment, didn't have punishment. By grasping the horns of the altar, the culprit placed themselves under the protection and the saving and helping grace of God. Punishment was abolished. Isn't that a wonderful forerunner of the cross of Jesus Christ? Where Jesus became the ultimate once and for always sacrifice. He took the punishment. So we don't have to face judgment for our sin. But now we approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I'm telling you, God is seated on his throne of grace today. Man, the devil loves to lie to us, doesn't he? One of his favourites goes like this. Whenever you mess up in some way or make a mistake or sin in some way, do something you're ashamed of, even if no one else knows about it, he tends to come along with this lie and says to you, God's going to be angry with you. He'll reject you from his throne. He will judge you. So the best thing to do when you feel like that is what? To run away, to draw away from God. Man, how wrong can we be and still be breathing? 
I mean, Jesus already took the punishment for our sin. Punishment is abolished. So when we sin, we don't run to the throne of judge, run from the throne of judgment. We run to the great throne of grace. I should say that again because I stuffed it up really badly, didn't I? When we sin, we don't run from the throne of judgment. I've done it again, haven't I? We don't run, yes, we don't. We don't run from the throne of judgment. Help me, someone. We run to the throne of grace. Have we got it now? We don't run from the throne of judgment. You've got it right. We run to the throne of grace. And at the throne of grace, we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are we in a time of need in 2020? Too right we are. Global situation, our nation's problems are huge in themselves. Then you add our own personal stresses and difficulties. There's a lot going on in our lives, isn't there? Too much to handle on our own. So we go with confidence to the throne of grace in our time of need. And what greater time of need is there than when we failed in some way in our lives? Because the other thing that can really happen that I've seen that when we've done something we're ashamed of, we stay away from church and from other Christians because we're scared that people are going to judge us and reject us. How tragic. Our churches should be the greatest places of grace and acceptance on the face of the planet. We should never have to run from church because it's a place of judgment. We should run to it as a place of grace. And when we come together like this this morning, either here in this auditorium or there at home, wherever you might be online with us, and we lift our voices and worship and praise, we're not just singing some nice songs. There's great power in our corporate worship because His presence is with us. His presence is with us here in this place and His presence is there with you where you're joining with us online. And as we're lifting Him up in worship, we're deliberately acknowledging again that God has the first and highest place in our lives. And as He is exalted in our praise and worship, His throne is being reestablished at the very center of our being. One of the team would come and join me as I close here. I'm well aware there are all sorts of legitimate reasons why we can't attend church, such as bad health or lockdown restrictions as we've been in recently. But when life seems to be falling apart and you're facing turmoil or you've slipped up in some way in your life, that's not the time to withdraw from the church family. And it's not the time to run from God fearing his rejection and judgment. It's time to run to him with great confidence because at his throne of grace, we'll find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. If you're in a place where you can stand, then it's okay for you, easy for you to do so. Would you just join me for a moment? Let's close our eyes at home or in your car, wherever you might be or here in this auditorium and just for a moment. Let's turn our thoughts back to Him. Wonderful Saviour, grace-filled God. Father, we come to You this morning so thankful, Lord, because the judgment 
and the punishment for our sin has been taken from us because of the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. None of us is worthy, Lord, to receive anything from You, but our worthiness comes because Jesus is worthy. And as we throw ourselves on Your grace and Your mercy, we thank You never in any way cast us aside or turn away from us. Your throne of grace, Your loving arms are there for us. And Father, I particularly think this morning of any who at this moment are feeling ashamed of something that's happened maybe a long time ago or maybe very recently or maybe even today right now each of us would choose to come to you Lord and cast our cares upon you and our needs upon you and everything that is against our lives to you to come to you you forgive us that you'd forgive us that you'd shower your grace your mercy and your love upon us today we thank you for it we praise you Lord for your ongoing work of your spirit in our lives We invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to work in us up and down this country and in the nations of the world on these days of turmoil, that, Lord, you continue, as you always have done, to fulfill your plan, drawing people to yourself and causing us day by day to become more and more in love with you and more and more like you as we're in your presence.